Welcome to the YOT Project, a podcast that helps you define and create success on your own terms. Each week, we and our inspiring guests share stories, personal and professional challenges, and lessons learned to help you move closer to the best version of yourself. Let's dive in. Welcome to the YOT Projects Women Founder Series, where we talk to inspiring female founders and entrepreneurs across Southeast Asia about the highs and lows of building a company and the mindset you need to create your own terms of success. Today, we welcome Shannon Galeana Mid, the CEO and founder of 5GCT. You might have seen her from many tech events as a speaker, investor, and founder. She was previously on Chat Tank Thailand and serve as a partner at Gobi Partners, as well as founded Orami. Hi. Actually, I was going to add one more CEO as well, but it's still in stealth, should I say to you? <laughs> also CEO of a, a healthcare data company called Alanius. If you could tell us about 5GCT and also your new position in a new company as well, that would help our listeners get to know you better. So 5GCT was, is doing smart cities. Basically, what we do for smart cities is we gather data in a city, we aggregate it, and we make sense of city-centric information for mayors and citizens. So for example, how your city is performing in its environment or public health, or is there enough um, healthcare being enough people have access to healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's more in natural disasters, warnings and all of that. So that's like a city. But Alanius is actually the spinoff where we only focus on public health and we aggregate and work with healthcare institutions in Thailand, in emerging markets and connect them globally. Did you know that Thailand and Southeast Asia and emerging markets across the world, we get our drugs and treatments three to five years after the US, EU, Japan, and China. We get them three to five years after because we're so fragmented here that nobody can get access to our data. So we're trying to help solve the problem. So then we have better access to healthcare and, and drugs. So that's what we do. That's really exciting. You have Span your career in so many sectors from e-commerce to now healthcare and smart city. And how did you even get started in the startup scene? And what has been your motivation behind all the moves that you've done so far? It looks like I'm in ind different industries, but functionality, I do the same thing. My college degree is finance. And then I did a minor in marketing. Actually, school was just a, a check mark, right? Um, in my opinion, I didn't really understand finance until I started working. And then when I started mm -hmm. working, I was starting at um, PwC, so Price Waterhouse, and then I did Lehman Brothers after that. And the cool thing is, you're in many different industries, but the function is the same. You go through the financial statements and understand, you know, how the company works. So then you could understand the financials, right? In PwC, where I did more consulting and all my consulting jobs, I had to learn about the marketing side, the ops side, the tech side, and all the other pieces, right? And so all of those things is the foundation for entrepreneurship. So I think like when you understand and legal too, right? Like learning contracts, due diligence, all of that stuff. Like I think that whole entire thing kind of 
set me up. I'm a big believer for making sure your skill set are developed in the first five years of your career, because it really did help the foundation how to look at a company, understand a company, and then later on build your own, right? Back to the industries, like it never mattered to me what industry it does. It does take a bit of a learning curve. What I've realized in my years is any new job or any new industry, the first year, tons of learning. Second year, you're kind of getting it right. Third year, it's like I'm I'm on it, right? And this goes for me when I was younger or older. And so sometimes when I talk to the younger generation that are starting their internship or first job or second job and they want to quit after six months or a year, like I'm just like, guys, like some of the best things that you can learn in your first three years is what you don't like. Learn what you don't like. And then- repeated, you know, in your next job. That's what I learned. It takes three years to master something. And then if anything, I'm not saying I'm a master either, right? But like, I think it takes a good three years for you to know yourself, know the industry, know this and that, Mm -hmm. and actually come up with a good opinion of it. I think for the younger generation, for my generation as well, because I'm in Gen Y, right? When we found out what we don't like about the company or what we don't like about the industry, we just like, okay, then this is not for us. But your your advice is to just put up with it for a little longer to learn more of what you don't like. Yeah, you know why? Because I understand why. One of my biggest problems when I was younger is I had too many choices. And so when you have too many choices, it's a great thing. Very privileged. Do too many things, right? <laughs> but you never finish one, right? And so you never see one thing from the from the beginning to the end. And so I think that for me, if you get into a job and say you don't like it. So Tiwa, you guys know Tiwa York. He he once told me one thing. He's like, the reason why people stay or leave a job is one, comp, right? Compensation. Two, um, the mission. And then three, the people you work with, which includes your boss. And usually if one are out of sync, then they leave. I think that when you come up with an obstacle and trying to fight through that obstacle in a job is also growth. Because I know there's tons of people that love to give up their boss's shit and blah, blah, blah. And, and I understand, you know, that that is a big part of the piece. But never giving up and really trying to go through your resources. Like I go to bed dreaming about my problems and then I, I wake up with, the solution. And I think it's, sometimes it happens over a week, sometimes it happens through a month, but you keep on thinking it. And I think the main thing is you just keep on trying until it works, but then also don't kill yourself. I mean, if, if this toxic boss is just terrible, but being able to be in an industry and learn and go through your personal challenge, understanding how to work, especially people who are first and second jobbers. You you don't know enough whether or not you really like the place. All you know is maybe someone's bad habits. That's why you don't like it. It's really something that's kind of superficial and you're giving away this whole great opportunity because you can't work through it. I think putting up with with the obstacles, like you said, um, is also building up the perseverance skill. Because a lot of times we just find something that we don't like and then we just give up, face something that's hard and we just give up. And and that's not um, the entrepreneurial spirit that's essential for the next century. I just want to touch very quickly about 
your your phrase on being first jobbers. Um, you said you didn't look at industry. So what do you look at? How to choose the first few companies to work for when you're starting out? I did choose a type of company, so it was um, consulting and/or investment banking. So my first five years really was in this circle, like it stayed within that. And then, as you know, like in consulting, one day I'm doing a healthcare project, a financial services project. I do recommend getting into consultancy or investment banking or something that actually has foundational skills. Like in investment banking, you learn how to um, look at a company, uh, value it, um, due diligence, like like all of that stuff that we now know what it is, right? But basically, it's like, well, how do we know this is value valuable? Is this tech really good, or is this, you know, is their team really, you know, how's the stock price going to go and up and down, and how does that work with the world markets or you know politics and all? So you kind of, so so anybody who wants to be in the business field, in my opinion, um, I still recommend it. So anything that gets you that functional skills to learn the land of doing business, whether it's finance, whether it's legal, whether it's you know marketing, anything at all, that's transferable skills. Yeah, you could use it everywhere. You'll always have it. The biggest value you got from investment banking and consulting is ability to analyze company, which has helped you a lot in your startup journey. I, I presume. From building multiple companies and scaling it from zero to one and one to n, how did you get from investment banking and consulting to actually starting your own company? My, my dad is an entrepreneur. I did see his ups and downs, so I already knew that it was going to be hard. And I think that's something the rose-colored glasses that that I didn't have, right? So, so what happened was I did banking first. I did banking. I was like 26, 27 by that time. And then I realized that it was a great job, but I wanted something socially impactful to fulfill me. I started looking around and I really wanted to get into, I don't know, the UN or some kind of NGO or whatever. So I did like everything, but I felt that at one point it was getting too much about money, money, money and no social impact. So the tsunami actually hit. This was 2004. So my uncle was the governor of Phuket. Then I called him and I was like, "Hey, do you need help? Because I heard you need translators." So me and 20 friends flew down and proceeded to do everything from pick up corpses. 20 of us had different jobs. We thought we were going to do translation. We did not do any translation. Some of us had to dive, and then find the corpses. Some of us had to, is this going to be too gory? Some of us had to yank out teeth to identify the people. My job was, I'm an organizer, right? So I moved from the Phuket city council to Wat Yan Yao, which is a temple in Panga, which is the epicenter well, of Thailand, the, the, the place that was hardest hit. And so for Thailand, um, there's this makeshift morgue where all the bodies came in. And then one of my friend, he was a graphic designer, but he's actually nursed by profession from America. He had to take a picture. And again, mind you, this is 2004. Okay. Take a picture, Adobe Photoshop it to make it look like what they used to look like, put it on the bulletin board. And so people could identify which corpses were here. 
So for me, my job was to coordinate between the Danish police and the Thai government and this and that and say that, okay, this is over here. Okay, ice over there. It was probably the first real hardcore experience. I mean, the 5,000 bodies of my life that I mean, I still think about it. And that was probably my favorite working experience ever in my life to this very day, including of all the tech things. Because after we did that, we found this remote uh, Muslim uh, fisherman village, 300 people, um, 150 people died. The school that was on the beach was completely uh, totaled. So we adopted that place. We raised about 10 million baht for them. We built a new school. I had to go argue with the the mayor who wanted the under the table fees. And then I got him kicked out. It was great. So basically it was like a small kind of entrepreneur thing where we raised money. I had to do a proposal, spent my entire bonus for the next year flying back and forth because I didn't know how to charge for this kind of thing. And so I went broke. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of taking a sabbatical, you took on this journey of being a first-time entrepreneur and building this whole thing. Yeah, back in the day, no one took sabbaticals. That sabbatical is a new thing here. Like, it's a last 10-year thing. (laughs) Did banking, quit, tried to do NGO, got the NGO, which was a big experience, loved it, applied to the UN after that because I I need money, right? Um, I need to have a salary. The UN rejected me because I didn't have a master's degree, which is funny because now I speak for the UN. And then, so I'm like, okay, let me go find a job that I can help my country and then get paid and be international. So I found Singha beer. People will laugh, but I wasn't just selling beer. The reason why I thought it was a social impact was because we were starting to do food and sauces. That's what Singha was doing back then. And so we, I wanted to help bring Thailand to the world and understand import-export. So I did that for a little bit. But then after three years, I also quit. Um, so most of my jobs are like three years, four years. And then that's when uh, I had a hard look of what I really wanted to do. And that's when I actually turned into an entrepreneur because I figured I can't find a job that would pay me X amount, travel, have a social impact, and, you know, do, do have all of these requirements and also the flexibility that I will need. And, and this is when I was 29 already. I, I knew that I was going to have a baby one day. Right. And I think that I haven't been able to control my working hours. I was working till like two, three in the morning and it was um, it was a lot. So I thought that start that that entrepreneurship would have been the key. So that's how I fell into entrepreneurship. So you had. <laughs> parameters of like the things you wanted to hit uh money one thing social impact and the time management like autonomy over your own life basically so Mm -hmm. you were finding something that would hit those category and how is it like 10 20 years in is that is that still true (laughs) the parameters are still true um i i think that I mean, and then fast forward, right? When I, then I started Moxie and you said this earlier, Nat, but banking didn't really help me when it came to startup because it it did a little bit, I guess I had a little bit, but the way you fundraise, the decks you build, the way you 
um, the metrics are different, right? Because you don't have a DCF, right? So like what PE ratio are you talking about? So I think like that didn't know what CAC was, didn't know what um, ARR was. So it's a whole different ball game. And um, so getting into it was idealistic in terms of, oh yeah, I'm banker. I could do this. Right. But uh, when I got into it, it was fun and exciting in the beginning. I, I still enjoy being an entrepreneur, but you know, as I get older, this is probably what my my second, third, third one, because the first one was Lazada. That's not really my company, right? So second one was uh, Moxie Orami. And uh, though we exited, I think we could have done better. We we were set with right in the middle of the series B gap. PEs didn't want to talk to us and there was no VCs that were growth stage and then became a VC. And then I thought, okay, I should learn it. I mean, I know it from the practical side of things. I know uh, from the fundraising side, but let's see more about the other industries. So similar to back in the day, right? It was like consulting or investment banking, many industries. So same thing at Gobi. So VC, but many industries. And so that kind of opened up my eyes even more, always learning. Um, and that was good. But again, Gobi was never really going to be my company. And you want to create something of your own and you yeah. want to have some ownership in it, right? I really, really wanted to get back into the seat. And um, and that's why I'm here again, doing the same exact thing. <laughs> Where does this itch to have your own thing come from? When I first came back to Thailand, um, I figured that I was privileged enough to grow up in the States and have a wealth of knowledge. And so when I came to Thailand back then, I was like, I want to share, like, I have all this. It's it's not really like I'm the best, right? I, I just have all this. I want to disseminate. I want to do something with it. And when I couldn't really do stuff, I mean, I did, but then sometimes I want ownership too. So I feel that it comes from a few things. And one was the upbringing of seeing things differently. And then two, my dad always being the can-do person. The amount of times that sometimes I would ask him back in the day, when I was at Lehman, I remember this distinctly. In Thailand, right after the financial crisis, Thailand wanted to set up this thing called the National Asset Management. Basically, what you do is you take all the loans from all the, all the, the, the banks, you put it into one place, which is an asset management, but is run by the government. And so Lehman, my company, did that. And so I knew that my mom grew up with my with Kuntaksin, who was prime minister back then. And I knew my dad was his campaign manager at one point. So I'm like, hey, dad, can you set me up? Can you introduce? And so he's like, sure, sure. Tomorrow he's going to be on a flight because I'm going to go with him to Chiang Rai. He's doing his political campaign, blah, blah, blah. Go book this seat, blah, 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 blah. So I booked the Thai Airways. I remember this 1A and then I put 1B. And then I sat right next to him. And then, and then my dad didn't show up. <laughs> so my dad does this all the time. He's just like sink or swim. He just, he's just like, you want this? You go get it. I was just going to yeah. say that's, that's a very farang way of raising a child. You go do your own thing. <laughs> all the time. All the time. I think that can do and pushing me and it had something to do with it. And so I think that, fine, if I'm doing it anyway, why don't I just like 
own it, right? So <laughs> when you learn to have confidence of leading and delegating and failing, even back then, you know, and I think it just kind of pushes up, uh, still learning, right? I still fail, but there's a little bit more confidence than I had when I was 15. So from what I gather, from what I know you and what you just told, right? I think it's like a combination of you feel like you have something to contribute, whether it's like from your confidence inside or what you learn um, in the States or whatever that that you have gathered along the way, you really want to create something or else it will go to waste, right? Like you just want to... Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I feel like no one's doing this. And then even- It has to happen in the world, right? This needs to happen and no one is doing it. So you have to do it. Yeah, I mean, even the smart city one that I started two years ago, I mean, no one's doing it. And now I know why, because like our freaking government is so hard to work with. <laughs> so yeah, you win some, you lose some, but um, it's it's funny to be back in the- entrepreneur seat again and then just see like one day it's up and then one day it's like oh my god like a roller coaster from 5gct to now the healthcare company lots of up and down in between this past two years for you what went through the period the biggest challenge you've felt over this time and how did you figure out where it should where you should be going towards for the smart city company we assembled a team. We actually had a, an early win. So we had secured a big contract. Big is like a million dollars, but it's still big, right? For being less than a year in, in corporation. And so we secured a contract for one of the cities in Thailand and we were delivering the solution and things were going okay. We got some good recognition from the UN abroad at Davos and traction was looking like it was good. It's just the sales cycle is so long. Working with governments, there's a lot of gray that has to be in this kind of business. And I think that at one point I had to make a decision of where is the money coming in quickest based on what we have. So the tech piece is great, right? Like that That's great. Like what we do is we ingest a lot of data from IoT and non-IoT, we structure it, harmonize it, we put it into a data engine, we use AI and LLMs to actually make sense of the data and then come out with dashboards and analytics, right? So the tech wasn't the hard part. It was actually more like trying to drum up interest. Interest was also not the hard part. Everybody wanted it. But with the way that the Thailand government works, uh, it just took a long sales cycle. The willingness to pay or understanding how much it would really cost is the hard part. So, you know, like a founder, you basically have to go like, can the business go? Yes. It will take a lot more money and it would take a lot longer to pay back. And it just didn't make sense. So um, we went back to the drawing board, looked at the data that we have. Turns out we have a lot of great healthcare data we basically went to some of our, because of our team's global reach, we have some of the big big pharma players, insurance players that looked at our data and they're like, hey, we like this data. We would pay you a lot more and we're a private company. And so you don't need to worry. Yeah. about the So, you know, it's really like one versus the other. So, you know, as a CEO's responsibility to make the best choice for, um, 
for the shareholders, for the company. I mean, it's heartbreaking, right? Basically, my hypothesis of this, frankly, it didn't work. The product might be good, but everything else doesn't work. It doesn't sustain. And so when we have to choose between the two, we have to make the hard decision to change the staff, you know, let go staff, uh, change strategy completely. Um, you know, also it's a face thing, right? It's like, oh, well, what happened to your smart city thing, you know? And so, I mean, at the end of the day, it's very humbling. Um, and, you know, I've, I've lost a lot of sleep over this, but I think what I've come to realize now is that I'm glad that we was able to pivot sooner than later. I'm glad that we're able to still work on cleaning it up. I'm glad we're able to still put the investment of the original shareholders to use. And I'm glad that, um, yeah, that that the, the team that we still have right now is actually the best team for this right now. So, so it's, it's hard, but what do it's hard to, to, I think I told you, I, I've kind of been hibernated. I, I'm not on podcasts or are speaking that much now because I really need to focus. And so um, it, not only is it humbling, um, but at the same time, I, it took me a while to get to the part where, oh, I'm not a failure. You guys had a podcast on imposter syndrome, right? It's like, oh shit, did everything yeah. catch up to me already? That's a normal thing. But mm. I think- after a lot of reflection overall, it's still, mm-hmm. I can't shoot myself, right? So, yeah. and I have to make the best out of where we are. It takes a lot um, from a person to be humble enough to, to you know, reflect on themselves, reiterate, but also being a CEO and, you know, put on that face and be confident and drive everything forward. It's kind of like a little bit contradicting, isn't it? How do you manage it? Um, I mean, I believe I'm always honest, right? Um, one of my weaknesses is that I'm such an optimist. I think that something good will happen. And so I think that is a good side, but also a bad side, right? The bad side is that if I'm an optimist and I say things and it doesn't happen, it now reflects badly. And so it could be um, mistaken for, oh, you don't know, or how are you running the company or, or whatnot. But I think that at the end of the day, I still believe that I did the right things. Uh, not 100%. Again, like I said, could have done a lot of things differently. Um, we had a really bad startup fundraising year this year. Uh, luckily, we're able to pivot in time. It's about what you think other people think, right? I still think that I did the best I could and protecting the company. And in fact, the numbers look better than ever. So I I'm, I just need time, right? So I think that I still need to trust in myself. If people are talking shit, then you're talking shit. And it's fine because not everybody has a great career. Everything you see on social media is all the best stuff. You're not going to see me taking a picture of me crying, right? So there's something that I say to myself, and this is good. Now, this is going to sound narcissistic. (laughs) 
you know, guys, you can talk so much shit about me. I'm giving myself some time right now, and I might not be like a rocket right now, but I'm giving you time to catch up to what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'm giving you time to catch up to my career. So you can talk all the bullshit you want to, <laughs> but I need this time. It always turns out better. And I still have to just believe it. And I have to just game so face, right? So you have faith that it will all be okay. Yeah, I do. I I do. I know that it will be okay. There's always doomsday scenario in my head, but I believe that it should be okay. I love it. I think it's your superpower because you're optimistic and you're able to detach from that thought of the doomsday in your head and actually form this vision that things will be okay. And I think that might have taken you years for younger listeners, is there any tips, techniques of how that confidence can be built? Personally, I'm still learning to do that as well. Right. It's hard. I mean, it's it's not easy. I still, again, I mean, my best friends can tell you, like, it's been a really hard six months for me. And I'm not the type of person that tells everybody what's mm-hmm. going on. So my dearest friends do know what's going on. And, and there's been days where I don't think this way. In fact, yesterday was not a great day, but waking up today for some odd reason, I came up with three solutions. And I'm like, oh, wait, today's a good day. <laughs> I don't know. I think a lot of the challenges that I had in my earlier years has set me up for this because I remember coming back from the States. I had somewhat of a bully. I just basically had to not care. It's easier said than done. And then just work on myself. Because at that time when I was 12, I ended up having good friends. Through the years, I'm able to prove myself as a person. Back in the day, it's just me as a student, right? I had the same issue that happened in college. Uh, I also had like people who who undermined me because of the way I look, right? Like when I'm in in banking and I look like I should be in advertising or something. So even in startup world, even to this very day, you know, when I was at Moxie, I did marketing. So I, I'm very love marketing. I think it's such an intricate part of a business. But I think a lot of people also think that I cannot do anything else. And so three years, right? You keep on working on it. And eventually, based on my past, if you keep working on it, eventually you'll get to the point where you think you're okay. I think that's the thing, right? And and to me, that self-actualization or what do they call it? Self-assertiveness didn't happy, happen until my mid-30s. Mm. So wow. it takes time. My mm. 20s were definitely like teens, let's not talk about, but like my early 20s, like I was very much second guessing myself. Everybody else in Lehman was so much smarter than me. They all came from Ivy League. I come from Tamasad. Not bad, but not Ivy League, right? So um, it, it it did. And then I, you know, then there's, you know, the, the matters of the heart, right? Like not having a boyfriend for over eight, nine years is also was like, oh, what's wrong with me? There's a lot that comes through in your 20s, unfortunately. And I don't think it's until you sink yourself into something and you can win it. Mm. Then you build that confidence and yeah. you keep on doing something else and then win it. 
Mm. When we're flighty, we don't win anything. In fact, this is what they teach people to teach their, their kids. You need to let them work on something like my kids, right? They're nine, right? You need to let them work on something. And then if they feel they could tie the shoe themselves, okay, next challenge. So you have to have little wins that build yeah. it up. If not, yeah. you won't have anything. And I think that's really important. That's why, I mean, everybody says, oh, you have to fail. You like, But do you understand what that means? It's because mm-hmm. it's like scar tissue, right? It's like you break your arm and then it just builds and then becomes stronger, right? You need to do that. And if you don't, you can't, you won't have anything to, to build your foundation from. So not taking risks is also an issue because you'll never be able to know whether you're good or not. One advice to our listeners, if you want to build this confidence is to, (laughs) is to expand your comfort zone a little bit every day, right? Just try something new. If you don't have like huge challenge coming up at work, just try to do something new, learn something new and just maybe fail, learn something and do it again um, tomorrow. And that way you gradually building your confidence. This is the advice I never had. I know, me too. One thing I can also relate is that when I was in, in I think primary school, um, I was bullied a lot as well simply because I was really bad at English. It was bilingual school. And then I got over it. And 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 when you tell the story of how you prove them wrong and you kind of build that self-defense mechanism of not caring and just focus on yourself and develop yourself to the point where they can't talk shit about you anymore, that's kind of the same defense mechanism that, that has built me to this day as well. When I was 15, I had my first boyfriend here in Thailand and he broke up with me. And I became emo, so emo. And then- um, Turn on sad music and then cry alone (laughs) with the eyeliner down your face. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. Unfortunately, I started smoking. Everybody don't start smoking. I remember I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go to the States. I'm going to be better. I'm going to come back hot and everything. And (laughs) if you're asking what, pulled me through all those challenging, my parents getting divorced, getting bullied, this and that, you know, all of this stuff is I think a sense of maybe I don't care or revenge or, but not, not violent revenge, right? It's like revenge that I'm making myself better. And Mm -hmm. so that was kind of my inspiration back then. Today, today is different. Now I don't really care right? Like if I'm doing better or worse, because I now understand that if someone's doing great, I'm doing bad. If I'm doing good, so they're doing bad. So it it kind of cancels out. So it doesn't matter anymore. But back in the day, you didn't have that competitive, like you didn't have that comparable, like mm. everybody equal and going best colleges, getting the best jobs and everything. So it's, it's easier to compare yourself to somebody, to something else. And so if there are young listeners here, I know you're comparing now, but then, you know, in the twenties or thirties, somebody's going to go get knocked up or someone's going to get married. Someone's going to take a different job. Someone's going to take a sabbatical. You could catch up or you, or they could catch up to you. And, you know, some, some people have a mental breakdown. Some people do amazing at one point. It doesn't matter anymore. There's this one quote, I, I don't know where I saw it, but something. It's true. It, you're not that important. <laughs> you're not that important. Everybody's got so much stuff going on in their head. You're not actually 
that important that someone's going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> Through all the experience, what is your guiding light that tells you you're going to the right direction? I think it's what Nala said. I think I know something that is good, and I have the purest intentions with the resources that can activate it. The <laughs> social part, the impact part, knowing that you're contributing to the world—that's your guiding principle throughout everything. Specifically, Thailand. I mean, and and Southeast Asia, because and a woman. I mean, me and Nala had this conversation before. It's great that you guys are doing this for women, because you know when I first. Came back to Thailand, and it's still a very male-dominated society. And it's not really the males' fault; it's also the women's fault. Like Southeast Asia, and and women, and and trying to kind of share a lot of these things or be the interchange between all of that. It's it's really important to me because I believe and I like that everybody. Has equal rights, and mm-hmm. what that also means is equal input. Like mm-hmm. they have the opportunity to source information. Yeah. That's why I always like media or e-commerce, like something that has to do with like connecting people. I just so it's always kind of gravitated in person. Since the whole theme of this podcast is to you know tell. The aspiring entrepreneurs, um, ambitious women out there, how to navigate life if they are chasing their dreams. Are there anything that you would like to tell your younger self? Okay, if I had to tell my younger self, coming from an Asian uh, family, we weren't given some of these information. For example, one, um, we understand like f- financial literacy. We understand that it's good to save. When I was twenty. And I was 22, earning amazing money, great bonuses at Lehman. I didn't understand why I could save because my bonus would be so much, and then why I, you know, all of that, right? So I think being able to understand at a young age why you're saving, asset allocation on how to invest at a young age is so key, and it comes key when you are sending. Two of your girls, and you think that you're going to pay for their Ivy League education, right? And international schools in Thailand. So, it's our responsibility to seek this information. We cannot blame the patriarchy or our parents anymore. We have access to the internet, and we need to actually empower ourselves to to have this. Great that we have the internet now versus when I was around what twenty. Taking ownership. Of some of these things that we need to do, and financial literacy is a big one. We talked about vision boards and and having goals. I do love setting goals. I didn't know it at the time, but it turns out that my vision board was a ten year plan, not a one year plan. You could break it down later on if you want to, but mine was more like, okay, uh, at twenty nine, what am I going to do for the next ten years? At 10 years, I want to have, I want to be able to speak like internationally. I want to have an international job. I'm doing impact. I want to have like twins. I want to blah, 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 and all of that stuff. So you kind of like shape your overall big overarching goal. When you backtrack it, you can actually outline steps you need to take 10 years before, right? Or you could do five years, whatever. I think it's important because when you 
again, shoot for the stars, you land on the moon. So when you created your vision board, do you backtrack every goals in that vision board? No. So I could tell you <laughs> what my vision board was when I was 29. I had, it was like a, a physical, I printed out magazines. We didn't have Canva back then, right? So we, and then on the top part, I took Oprah Winfrey's profile from Wikipedia. I put my name in there. Basically, it's like media entrepreneur, something, something, social impact, women advocacy, something, something, talk show host, blah, 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 and whatever, right? And so that's what it said for her. I put my name. And then at that time, at 29, I thought my goal was I was going to start a company in media. So my first company was actually doing TV. I sold TV uh, shows and I uh, produced a few shows, et cetera, et cetera. The top part was very job centric. And I had put keywords like obviously media. I put in some of my favorite TV shows. I also put in travel, travel internationally. uh, And then I put some of the cities that I wanted to go to. Then I had the bottom part. I wanted twins. So family, right? So I had put some keywords, family um, and kids and and blah, blah, blah. Then I put a picture of my home. Actually, now that I think about it, my windows here kind of look like that home. In the- <laughs> <laughs> and then I put my boyfriend. And then this is 29. Then 30 or 31 or something, I actually met my now ex. And then I had twins two years later. I ended up being in some kind of business. I was in e-commerce. I justified it as I'm still connecting to people. I'm still an owner. It wasn't media per se, but it's something. Fast forward and then Shark Tank, it's kind of there. And then I had my traits that I wanted to work on, like be more confident, be less fearful, don't care too much about what people think. What we're talking about, like what would I tell my younger self? I, I still believe in vision boards. I still believe in... Because once you kind of know your goals, your radar is open. Like, for example, Shark Tank came because I was talking to my friend Nish and she's like, Shannon, you got to be on the show. I think in summary, seeking knowledge yourself and being able to have the tools and frameworks that you can go to, having really good friends that you can be humble and, and cry your eyes out is also great. But also, you know, there are just... I know it's easy to be overwhelmed, but when a shitstorm piled on, the one thing that I tried to do is break it down because you don't need to solve every problem in one go. Having tips and these things that you can, one, project future, but then also manage what you have today. Mm. You, you have to do a kind of aggressive, but then also manage it. And that goes with financial planning and that goes with you know, managing your stress and managing your your expectations of yourself. About balance, right? Like being aggressive, um, but not too aggressive that it overwhelms yourself. I used to believe you could have it all. You can have it all at different parts and different times. But yeah. usually when you're balancing three things, that's that's already a lot. Thank you so much, Hannah. This has been really, really great. First, you mentioned a lot about tips on career, sticking to taking a career that will allow you to have foundational skill, understand different businesses, understand the high level side of things so that you can take on the learnings to and bridge that to your uh, whatever you do in your next career. Also sticking to the career long enough to know what you don't like, practicing perseverance, 
and also finding what matters to you as a person, whether it's social, whether it's growth, whether it's impact. And I think we talked a lot about confidence. I think mindset was something that really shines through for you in terms of building confidence and having small wins and getting out of your comfort zone was the, the tips that you gave, which I will definitely take that to practice personally. And I hope one day I'll have the same confidence level as you. Lastly, we talked about balance, uh, taking control of your life. I love how you talk about financials and the vision board. It shows that you actually have a view of where you want your life to go, even though you don't know particularly what the action plan will be, but you've set that vision for yourself and then managing the small parts, the little things that happen in between, uh, trying to break it down into actionable items and don't get too overwhelmed. I think the one thing that I got from you is you have so much energy. You're a force. <laughs> That's what I feel from today's conversation. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's very inspiring talking to you. Hope our listeners um, get something, a lot of things um, from, this, from this episode. Um, this is going to be our very first episode from the series. I'm going to go and make my vision board today. <laughs> <laughs> If this episode resonates with you, we'd like to hear your stories. Talk to us at the YOT Project on Instagram and LinkedIn.